Welcome back to another episode of Mastering Agility, a podcast series with and for inspiring agilists, bringing you the best of the business. This podcast series is brought to you by agilitymasters.com, providing you with all the agile coaches and scrum masters you need. Make sure to go to the website and subscribe to the newsletter to stay up to date about the latest guest speakers and about every information you can just get about this podcast series. Today, we'll be talking to Maarten Dalmijn about the importance of sprint goals. And to my experience, it's one of the most hard things to really get done right when using the Scrum framework. Let's listen to what he has to tell. Today, we're going to talk about sprint goals. Um, There are so many topics about the sprint goals, um, while it's such a small part of the Scrum framework. Now, apparently there is so much to do about that you're writing a book about. Could you tell us a bit about the book? Yes. So I'm writing a book about sprint goals because actually uh, when I started using Scrum, I didn't use sprint goals. And uh, as a product owner, when you don't use sprint goals, then you need to uh, work much harder. And uh, I decided to write a book on sprint goals because I saw when I started using them, my job became a lot easier and everybody was a lot happier. And And I thought... The whole world should know how, how can you do this in the best way possible and share knowledge and also learn from others, of course. And how did you start to discover? How did your journey look like from where um, you weren't doing it until the point that you are now? Yeah. So um, what was interesting, I was actually very skeptical of Sprint Goals initially. Uh, I, I Basically, I didn't use them. And when people said you should use them, I was thinking you already have the sprint backlog. What's the point? Like you're just going to have a goal that mirrors the backlog. And the reason why I started using them was actually because um, I left to another team uh, as, as I'm a product owner. So I became the product owner of a new team and my old team didn't have a product owner and I was not allowed to help them. And they came to me and they were complaining, we don't have a product owner, what should we do? And I just told them, hey, maybe you should try sprint goals. Just set one goal, one thing, uh, discuss with your stakeholders what's the one most important thing, make a goal out of it, and see how it goes. And I actually felt bad because I really wanted to help them. I thought it would be much better, but I just thought, hey, let them just try it out. Worst case, doesn't work. Uh, best case, maybe it works. And they came back, and they felt they were super energized, and they loved it. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to start using it, experimenting it. And I also found out that it made my life a lot easier, and it delivered, delivered better results. So yeah, that's kind of my journey. How does it drive uh, the results then? How do you incorporate, for instance, the, the stakeholders' needs with it? How do you make them tangible? Yeah. So what I think is really important is you always have a sprint review where you, uh, if you do it right, at least you have your most important stakeholders there. So what I try to do is when I have a sprint review, I actually propose a goal to the stakeholders. Uh, and of course, before I process this goal, I already have discussed with the team, hey, do we think this could be feasible? Can we work on it? And... I also have a couple of alternatives ready in case for whatever reason they don't like it. And I just give them one option. I just tell them like, what's the most important thing? And uh, we have this discussion and this forces them to choose. You cannot have four things. And in, in, uh, yeah, in the beginning they struggled with it, right? Because they want the four things. So the way I explain to them is you have two choices. Either you don't choose, you work on three things at the same time. You don't have control of what you're gonna get, but what you know for sure is all three of them will take longer or you do make a choice, that means you have control and the one thing you choose, you're going to get quicker. And that's the way I present it to them and they get it. And uh, yeah, that doesn't mean we don't work on other things, right? I mean, some, but 
this is the most important thing and this is what we promise. And if if uh, it takes longer than expected or is more difficult than some of these other things, we're just going to drop them. So that's that's yeah how I see it. Speaking of that focus, there seems to be this really deep-rooted notion that everything in your sprint backlog um, should be connected to the sprint goals. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I actually don't work that way at all. So uh, I actually find it super important to have a sprint backlog which contains items that do not relate to the sprint goal. I see it as stretch goals because I think it's not realistic uh, to only have one thing uh, you can work on. I, uh, the business always wants other things. There are always small bugs or small things which are also important. But the thing is, by not planning your sprint at 100%, you get flexibility. You can deal with unexpected things with, with, because we're doing complex work. So I try to not plan at 100%. And if there are some other items in there which are not clearly the spin goal, I can either move them in or move them out depending on how much work it actually takes. And I think that's very liberating uh, for the team because they're like, yeah, this is what we promise. And if we have more time, we can pull in more work. If we have less time, we can move work out. And that's how I think is the best way of dealing with uncertainty. And how do you deal with, for instance, technical debt that... You want to um, avoid technical debt, obviously, yes. but sometimes it's unavoidable. Um, how do you make sure that this still becomes um, a very important part of the sprint just to remove this or resolve this tech debt? Because yeah. uh, it's not part of the sprint goal, usually. Um, but if you make it a stretch, it can feel like we don't have really have to commit to it. Yeah, that's a very good point. So uh, in the two teams I was working with recently, Basically, what's very interesting is very often they would create tickets during the sprint, bugs and technical debt. And I encourage that. I told them, if, you, if you're if you working on something and you account something which needs to be fixed, just make a ticket and pull it in. I think what Scrum sometimes tends to do is, uh, I see, I see that when, you're, when you're a developer, you're working in the kitchen, right? So you're cooking something. If, if the kitchen becomes too messy, you cannot cook. Like you have all these pots and pans, you're trying to make a five-course meal, you're not going to make it. And I think part of the, the job of a cook is also to clean up the kitchen. And that's the same with the developer. So I've, I try to give them a lot of freedom. So actually, they create their own tech tactics during sprints. They, I, I see them. I don't ask a lot of questions. And I think, yeah, uh, that's very empowering. And, and, and I think more yeah, scrum teams should do that because I don't believe people just fix things for the sake of fixing things. I, don't, I, I trust them that if they think it's necessary. And of course, you can challenge them, right? I mean, if I... But it rarely happens, to be honest. Now, trusting them with fixing things does require um, a great sense of ownership. Correct. Um, how do you raise this ownership from uh, from your product owner uh, perspective? Yeah. So one of the challenges is when you're a product owner, there are always questions, right, during the sprints, like, what should I do? Uh, how does this work? And when they come to me with questions, I always try to... to give them the context so that they can answer the questions themselves. Or if I already believe they should be able to answer it, I ask them questions just to say, what do you think? Like, and did you consider this? And usually they come up with the answer. And, 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 and if they don't have the knowledge, I try to spend a little bit more time with them to give them the knowledge. Because at the end of the day, a development team is not there to just deliver a product increment. It's, it's about delivering value. So if you don't give them that understanding of why we're doing what we're doing is matters. And when they have questions, something is unclear, they cannot make a decision. That means there is something missing. And, and uh, that's what I try to tell them so that they don't come to me with these questions. And yeah, another example is 
there are all these cases when they need to deal with external stakeholders. For example, their credentials missing. Very often the, they go to the scrum master or they go to me and, and, and I try to tell the team like, look, if you need this to get the job done, do it yourself. You know how to do it. It's not fun, right? But it's way more scalable than having me or the scrum master as a bottleneck. So these, I think, are two ways I try to do it. I t- and I, yeah, it's about trusting them as well to make mistakes, right? I mean. And what if they make mistakes? Well, then how do you feel um, your teams are open enough um, to come up to you and, and admit that they are, they messed something up? Yeah, so uh, what I think really is really important, I'm a product owner. So if we don't deliver at the sprint review, I, I explain that. Like, I don't let the team explain that. I protect them. And that's, uh, uh, and as long as I got their back, they are not uh, afraid of making mistakes or maybe taking on a sprint goal that's a bit more ambitious. If I tell them, hey, guys, we're going to work on a sprint goal, the chances of success are low, but it is the most valuable thing we can work on. There's a lot of uncertainty. I've had cases where the sprint really failed. We found... the the most important problems we needed to solve. So the next sprint, we could plan it properly. And actually, we made way more progress because we instead of doing all these spikes, we actually really discovered what are the problems we need to fix. And sometimes they amaze you. Like they find big problems, but we come up with simple solutions during the sprint and we make way more progress than expected. And I think, yeah, that's that's, uh, if you're responsible for delivering value, you need to make them feel safe as well. It's not only the scrum master, uh, I think. I fully agree with you. You mentioned that if there um, something went wrong, you're the one telling them during the sprint review. Doesn't that make you kind of the bottleneck as well in that process of owning um, maybe, failure? Yeah, maybe, maybe uh, I should uh, give it more to the team, right? Maybe that's the, how do you say uh, it's something which I can do better. But uh, I, I, I don't know. Like uh, I, I was working in a very political environment with very difficult stakeholders that I don't want to throw them for the sharks. Like, uh, they're, they're not like, I'm used to working in that environment, they're not. So that's also part of the reason, like, uh, uh, but I think, yeah, in environments where you don't have this, this big difference, right? This unfair power struggle, and yeah, maybe there makes more, there I would do it more. Quickly. Yeah. Recently, um, the Scrum Guide has been upgraded, uh, updated, if you will. Um, there has been a, an addition of the product goal. Tell me your perspective about this. Yeah, so I think I, I actually, uh, Willem Jan Ageling wrote some really nice articles on this topic. And uh, in the beginning, I thought it's something new, right? But uh, maybe it's something I can also share with you afterwards. Because, But he actually shows in his articles that all of these things were already there. They were just not as explicit uh, and hiding a little bit beneath the surface. But the, the product goal as a concept is already mentioned in the older version of guides. It wasn't just as explicit or as clear. So, yeah, uh, I think it's really good that it, they make it more clear now because it, it, it allows teams to shift from this output, right? Like following the plan and following the backlog towards what are we really trying to achieve and why does it matter? And also applying focus on the longer perspective than just the sprint. Now you have these all these terms, right? You have your product backlog and sprint backlog. You have the sprint goal, the product goal, product vision. How do you make sure, especially with starting teams and teams that are new to Scrum in itself, uh, how do you make sure that they don't get confused by all the terminology in the framework itself? Yeah, so when I started with teams a few years back, I would really start with the sprint backlog and the, the product backlog. But now when I start new teams, I just start about, okay, 
what what's the goal of this sprint and then everything flows from there and in the end i think it makes things a lot clearer because what you see with a lot of teams is that the sprint backlog becomes this this becomes the plan and the goal this is what we need to do and i think if you do it the other way around where you actually tell them hey this is what we're trying to achieve and why and then come up with a plan as a result from that uh people get it like uh and and it's very empowering and gives a lot more flexibility so i start with that and then slowly you can introduce other things like okay product goal like why does this matter on the longer term or product vision even even uh, longer uh, but i don't think you should try to explain everything at once like uh yeah it's too much <laughs> explain everything overflowing with information exactly um like evidence-based management um puts in more metrics and make things a bit more tangible. Um, and with the discussions, the, the historical discussions on velocity and, and measuring your predictability and these kind of things, do you measure the predictability and the achievement, um, the rate of achievement of the sprint goals as well? Like it's not a momentum thing. How well are we able as a team to consistently achieve our sprint goals? Is that something that you take into account? Yes, uh, but I also think that if you look at Scrum, there's so much pressure. Scrum puts a lot of pressure on the team in a sense, right? Like every day of the daily Scrum, you, you kind of discuss what is what are what have we done yesterday? What's the goal for the next day? What is your progress for the sprint goal? And then you also have the, the end of the sprint, right? The, the sprint review. So there is a lot of pressure. And, and, and uh, I try to not... Uh, I look at the sprint goal, did we achieve that? But what I see is we achieved like 80 or 90%. For me, that's good enough. Like, I don't believe you should aim for 0% failure. Like, uh, you're doing complex work. Failure sh- is to be expected, in my opinion. If you don't have any failed sprints, that means you're being too too safe, right? Uh, but where's the balance? And I think that depends on, on what you think is best. I, I, I aim for like 80% or something, but I don't believe you should aim for uh, 100% because failure is good, you can learn from it. Tell us about uh, a situation where you over-challenged your team. Uh, let me think about it. This is a very good question. A situation where I over-challenged my team. So um, we had we had to, to uh, let me think how I explain this the simplest way. Uh, so we had to I was, I was a product owner for a logistics team, so we had to connect with an external system. It's a little bit technical, I, I apologize. Go right ahead. <laughs> so it was a little bit technical. So, uh, and the team immediately wanted to go for a new microservice, even though it was something like in the warehouse, you ship once per day, you could easily build it with a Lambda function, which means it's way cheaper. It will time to market. The, the initial estimates they gave me was like three months. And I thought if we build it simpler, we can build it in two weeks. So I had a sprint goal actually, where we uh, the sprint goal was deliver, delivering the solution using a Lambda function within two weeks. Right, so like we just said, we're going to try it out, and uh, we succeeded. So it was very interesting. We had a solution that worked, but in the long term, we found out actually that it wasn't optimal because uh, uh, we found out that we needed to have this state being tracked. So we built a solution which we, we needed to throw away. So, uh, yeah. So on one hand, yes, the team learned, right? But on the other hand, the solution we built was not good, it, but we needed to rebuild it. I still think it's super valuable knowledge because they have never built this kind of thing before. So now they better understand true failure. Okay, in this situation, it's not going to work. Uh, so, yeah. 
What was the impact on the team themselves? Like, what were the reactions? Uh, well, they were sad, of course. They needed to, to rebuild it. But on the other hand, they felt it was super cool as well. Like, working on something. I mean, tech people like learning new things. So I think it was mixed. That's that's how I, I would see it. So yes, the new knowledge was really great. But then the fact they had to rebuild it made them a bit sad. Fair enough. Um, I saw this post by Christian Verweis recently where... Thea Strucke made this really nice tile um, image of saying there's always another sprint. Now, there's there's a fine balance in between focus on the sprint goal right now, but also on the things that are that lie ahead. Do you also communicate any objectives that might not be necessary for now in this sprint, but for the coming sprint? Like, do you already think ahead and communicate to the team, like, these are the objectives for the coming sprint? For instance, for the, the act of refinement, um, items that need to be refined right now and uh, obviously refinement is something that developers are doing um, together with the product owner but how do you make sure that this balance stays okay yeah so uh, basically at this print review I have a roadmap now it's a, I use a come on board with now next later so uh, basically now is what are we working on at the moment next which are we working on next later uh, usually stuff maybe three months or later uh, I try to keep it uh, max like 10 items not too big because I don't believe in planning too far ahead of time because the whole point is when you're doing complex work you're learning new things so as you do more you learn more which should result in updating your, your roadmap and your product backlog um, so I don't refine stuff very much ahead of time I, I, I always want to do it based on latest insights so if I look at one to three sprints that's what's refined max uh, Sometimes even just two uh, two sprints. I, I because at the end of the day, if you if let's say you decide on a sprint goal where you didn't, so you have you have sprint review and you decide, hey, this is a new sprint goal. This is super valuable. We didn't refine it. You can still refine stuff during sprint planning, and as long as there's trust and there's the ability to accept this this, this more risk by doing that, it's not a problem. And yeah, uh, I actually think. This mindset of flexibility and adaptability, like adjusting stuff on the fly, is is yeah really important when you do Scrum, and that's why I don't focus on having ten sprints refined. <laughs> yeah. All right. Speaking of risk, um, tell us about any any things that you measure or that you use as as input of metrics or whatsoever to um, reduce risk. What does work for you? Yeah. So basically. If I, if we deliver as a team the sprint goal with a reasonable high amount of success, and the, and the stakeholders are happy with that, should should I then care about cycle time of individual backlog items? Is it really that important to show, hey, our cycle time is going from six to five days? Uh, what I feel is by putting so much pressure on the delivery, you remove creativity. Like you, people need to have time to read articles, to do proof of concepts. As well, when I come with them, there's a production issue. I really believe that all this pressure on delivery, which can happen if you focus on flow, right? It, 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 has, it has negative effects on the team and it, it reduces flexibility and adaptability. So this is my personal belief, right? And that's why I don't measure a lot on that level. I, I measure on a higher level, like what are the outcomes we're producing when we deliver a sprint goal? Did, did we meet the outcome we expected to achieve? These kind of things. I think that's uh, way more important. 
Outcome is one of the most important things I feel uh, from a Scrum Master perspective to really take into account and to focus on when, when building any product. Now, there still st seems to be um, a reluctance, if you will, when it comes to output versus outcome. Like outcome uh, is rarely measured in my experience, or at least uh, too few times. Um, what do you think is causing this problem of focusing on outcome versus output because then you're still in more of a feature factory than you're really delivering a valuable product. Yeah, I think it's really difficult. It's it's way easier to measure velocity and cycle time and 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 it gives you the impression like I mean let's let's look at it this way, right? Let's say your cycle time is becoming lower. This means that uh, stuff is being finished sooner. That's great, right? That that means there's more value, but I that doesn't I don't think that's the case. Like you can actually have a higher flow because the team is dealing with unexpected problems and figuring out stuff. And that's okay, as long as what they're doing is valuable. And I really feel like putting so much pressure on a team to deliver is, is very, very detrimental. Like, yeah, it's complex work. It's kind of like, uh, let's say I, I give you a knot, a very complicated knot, and I put a stopwatch, you have one minute to solve it. It's very, uh, yeah, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on you. And, and I think that's what that's in essence what it's about. We don't know the solution yet. We have some ideas, but uh, when you start to work, then you figure out, oh, it's way more difficult than I expected. And uh, yeah, that's why I believe we shouldn't put that much pressure with metrics uh, on teams. Uh, as long as we believe they're doing the best they can and working hard, that should be good enough. That's uh, how I feel. That really works. Um for your teams um, how do you deal for instance with political influence especially yes. where um, in, in organizations where hierarchy is still perceived as really really important um, it can has have a really high impact on the sense of a team but also on the flow of a team yeah yeah i, I think you need to talk to stakeholders and try to explain it in a way they they understand so the way i explain it is if you look at a hospital right the hospital has expensive doctors, expensive machines. So they're okay with having you waiting. That's not a problem. So that what's the result, right? They try to keep the doctors busy, the machines busy. And as a result, all the patients are waiting because if they wait one or two hours, that's okay. Uh, we need to make sure that these expensive doctors and machines are busy. I, I think if you move to use the same mindset with your scrum team, then yeah, delivery value will become slower. Everybody's busy and everybody seems to be doing a lot. And that's the concept of flow that I really like, like by focusing on this goal and making sure that we make as, as much progress as we can. That's, I think, uh, super important. How did the best team that you ever worked with in sense of flow look like? How did it, you know, what did it look like? So yeah, the best team I worked with was actually recently. And, and what was really interesting was normally you work with feature teams, right? These were actually two component teams. And the reason for it was uh, we didn't have sufficient front-end developers and we didn't have the ability of the back-enders to do full stack. So we had these two component teams and basically every sprint they would be working on different goals uh, and we would tell them, if you need to help each other, you need to help, that gets priority even over the sprint goals because, uh, and what happened was actually, even though we had a bottleneck, we dealt with it very effectively. Everybody was helping each other. We were not doing swarming. I mean, but... Uh, there was a really healthy collaboration and, and and that's one of the best teams I've worked with. And I actually, what I would sometimes see is 
there was, for example, backlog item in the sprint was actually got a horrible flow because they were helping another team. But if you look at the overall progress of the, the, the product we're building, it was way quicker than I expected. So that's what I care about. Like, are we making the most progress we can? And we were because Perfect. of the approach. It sounds amazing. Um, you, you're probably familiar with the stances of a product owner by just Lucasson. Uh, where would you say you are currently? I'm familiar, but not from the top of my head with all the phases. Uh, I actually got this question during a, a job interview. There, there were, are there six or seven levels? Do you know from the top? The six by by heart. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'm like, it was like a, the, an interviewer said I was like the fourth level. I think what's really challenging is uh, as a product owner, I've never met a product owner who's really the product owner. You always have other people, stakeholders who are more powerful than you, you need to deal with. I don't know if this is common, but this is my personal experience. And that's why I had a big influence, but I needed to get by him using stakeholder management and politics. And that meant that if I had good ideas and I was able to influence others to, to uh, agree with me, they would work on the stuff which was most valuable, at least in my opinion as a product owner. But sometimes there were just projects which were highly political where somebody said, we need to do this. And I actually told my team, uh, build the shittiest solution you can. Uh, it's not going to deliver value. And if I'm wrong, I'm fine with rebuilding it. And this is actually a case where we built a very shitty solution uh, within like two weeks. The amount of traffic we got was so low that we pulled the plug after, I don't know, half a year. Uh, so this was a good call. And uh, I'm happy because otherwise we would have spent three, three months. So yeah, these kind of things I think are also stuff you can uh, discuss with your team, right? Because, yeah. Oh, definitely. Because like, it kind of gives you bang for a buck, right? You limit the risk of spending way more money if you would continue down a different path. So I, I feel that this was indeed a right call. Um, where would you ultimately want to be? Like, would, would you really want to be continuously uh, responsible for the budget and for all these kind of things? And how does, for instance, the budget relate to the sprint goals? Yeah, so it's a, it's a good question. So to be honest, I never had budget responsibility as a product owner. I just have teams and uh, I need to make business cases, right? To convince like, hey, roughly a sprint costs this amount of money. When we deliver it, uh, we expect it to take three sprints. The cost of own, total cost of ownership is roughly this per month. Is it worth it or not? I mean, those kind of, this, those kind of things I've experienced, but really a budget, no, I never had that responsibility. Maybe I haven't been a real product owner in that case, but I'm just... Uh, I'm not saying you're not a real product owner. I don't want to incorporate the, the, the stances of a product owner too much, um, but it did trigger me into, for instance, the realization or the feeling that um, if you have internal teams that have a continuous flow of budget, there is also a little less sense or, or perception on the importance of really focusing on sprint goals. Like if we would have a budget or our budget would be um, responsible or um, we would have budget based on the outcome of the sprint goals, like our, the survival of our team is going to be based on the sprint goals and therefore the budget will be uh, flowing out of the uh, outcome of the sprint goals. Um, that gives a little bit different sense to the teams that uh, work on this. How do you feel about this? I, th I think it definitely makes sense. Like it's kind of your skin is in the game, right? Like yeah. uh, I think it can really work. But what I can tell you is, for example, I didn't have that and we were rebuilding a whole platform. And uh, I cannot share the numbers, but 
uh, it, it was close than twice as much revenue and we didn't use these budget incentives, right? So uh, we had a really strong team that knew what we we're building and what we needed to do to deliver more money. And I think people take pride in that, like they want to do a good job. So uh, we had a very clear vision of what we wanted to achieve because we were rebuilding something. So it was really clearly communicated like, hey, two things are important. It was an e-commerce platform, time to market and speed. Our current website was super slow. And the quicker we had, so every month we're not live, we're losing money, right? That's how I explained it to them. And uh, the website doesn't need to have a lot of new functionality as long as it's super fast. And then we can add all the bells and whistles later. So we just went for, for vanilla, so to speak. So we were able to deliver something very quickly and we made the platform was making close to twice as much money. And yeah, I don't know, like, I think people take pride in their work and they want to do a good job. As long as you explain to them, hey, these are the things that matter and have an open conversation about it. Some questions from people that I regularly work with that like, sometimes struggle with uh, sprint goals. What do you do with actions you need to take during the sprint that not necessarily are not necessarily part of the sprint goal? So yeah, I get this question a lot. So there's this impression that the sprint goal is the only thing that matters and you're not allowed to work on other things. And I don't think that, that that's the right way of looking at sprint goals. The way I explain it is, uh, imagine your friends over for dinner and uh, you still need to cook and you need to do grocery shopping. And so you're like, you're in a hurry, you have one hour of time. So you hurry to the supermarket and on the way to the supermarket, your, your wife calls and says, hey, can you also pick up a bike light? Uh, and then you need to think about, okay, in the end of the day, what is most more important? Getting these groceries so that we can have a dinner and the people are, uh, that were ready for our guests who are coming or having this bike light, right? So, uh, sorry, and, and my wife said, yeah, if you have time, right? If you have sufficient time, please get it. So that's the way I see it. Like imagine I'm in a supermarket and it's not busy and I'm done in 15 minutes. And I have enough time to get the bike light. I'm going to get the bike light. It's a stretch goal. That's how I see it. But if... Uh, I tell my wife, hey, it was super busy. It took an hour to do grocery shopping and I don't come back with the bike light. She will understand, right? And that's the, w the same way I feel. Like uh, it's good to have stretch goals because it's very difficult to estimate how much time something takes. Sometimes it's easier, sometimes more difficult. And this gives you flexibility. Perfect. Sounds great. Um, another question was, how do you create goals that are smart enough without spending too much time on actually creating them? Because the focus can really be on, we have to create sprint goals um, with overstepping the fact of why you want to have sprint goals. So how do you make them smart enough with too less uh, or with limited discussion? Yeah. So the thing is, if making them smart is very difficult, which can be the case, right? Uh, Start with thinking about what is the outcome we want to achieve, uh, and not, do not necessarily. You don't. I mean, if you don't use sprint goals, it's better to have a goal where you don't make it perfectly smart and not have a goal at all. So that's what I would advise. Start, and then of course try to make it uh, clear what is the outcome you expect. I mean, that's the dream. But I also think that uh, a lot of teams spend too much time on really making it smart. Uh, for example, an example of a sprint goal was, so we were building a new e-commerce platform. Uh, example of a sprint goal was, we had a lot of risk because we were building a new platform. Uh, we, so we thought, okay, let, let's order something, get it shipped and return it, make sure the refund gets processed, which meant having one delivery method, one payment method, 
meaning all the data would flow to our BI and finance systems. So uh, sometimes this was not a business outcome, right? But this was basically saying, okay, this if we do this, then we're in business. We understand the biggest problems we need to solve. Uh, so either we f- succeed or we fail and then we know what problem. And we succeeded and it was really cool. So yeah, I've, uh, it, it really depends like also what stage of the project you're on, right? But Must have been a really cool sense of achievement as well for the team. Yes. Um, and the last question uh, before heading towards the end, um, what do you do when you have a really mature product that has multiple fronts of development and stakeholders? So you have different facets of development. Uh, can you explain a little bit more uh, what you mean? So you have multiple... Multiple directions are not necessarily, uh, let's say, different levels of features uh, within a single sprint. Different levels of features. So you mean some discovery, some... Uh, I, I'm not sure I get it. You have a, a kind of dispersed um, and flow of, of development, so you don't necessarily are able to focus on a single thing ah, because okay. of the nature of the product while you still already have a really mature product. Yeah, so that I've actually been in a situation where I had that, and I actually believe that the ability to set common goals is really important for Scrum. Like a team is needs to have a common goal. So I, I was working in, in Barcelona, and I had a team which did not have a common goal. And why was that? It was an integration team. So one of them was a Drupal developer, one of them was a Sitecore developer, one of them was a WordPress developer. Uh, the only thing they had common, they were working with the same API. So you can imagine we had this daily scrum. They were working completely different things. There was no common goal. And I don't believe scrum works then. Like I believe having a common goal as a team is a necessity to, for scrum to work. Uh, you, you're probably better suited using Kanban. But I could be wrong, right? But this was the only team in this, this company, which had 10 teams, where I did scrum and it really, really filled. Like I didn't, nobody liked it. And we went to Kanban. Was it perfect? No, but it was better than doing scrum. Mm-hmm. The question pops to mind, why did why were they using Scrum? That was my fault. So basically, uh, uh, I introduced Scrum in, I was working at a startup and they, uh, yeah, they were scaling up super fast. So I thought introducing Scrum will help and it, it really helped, but not for this team. So I still think it's a valuable learning because now I can yeah explain why I think it's a necessity. Still, it's one example, right? But uh I would not do it that quickly if I see there are different goals. No, you did discover what didn't work. So that's a really good achievement as well. So, um, All right. Thank you for answering those questions. Now, before uh, ending or rounding up this this podcast, um, going back to your book, when can we expect your book? That's a good question. Somewhere this year. Like, uh, So I'm working super hard on it. And uh, But writing a book is difficult, as you as you know, right? It's uh, so uh, Definitely daunting. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I'm super excited. And uh, yeah, I also gave a talk on sprint goals where I kind of uh, talked a little bit of what's going to be in book uh, in Barcelona. So I got a lot of positive feedback. And yeah, I also hope I'll get a lot of feedback on this, which I can hopefully use to make my book even better. All right, Martin Dalmain, thank you very much for being our guest. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. I would like to thank Martin and you guys for listening again today. This episode is one of a series, so make sure to check out the other ones as well. They're available on all big platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it. Now, if you want to know more, or you want to stay up to date about the latest information and future guest speakers, there are multiple ways to do so. 
subscribe to the newsletter, reach out to me via LinkedIn for any questions, comments, feedback, or just general inquiries, or visit the website of agilitymasters.com. Next time, we'll be speaking to Gunter Verheyen about humanizing the workspace. Curious what that means? Join us again next week. Until then. Thank you.